This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. We're going to hear from Miss Lily about some great lake monsters and a story from my friend Norm Peters. He's from a Mohawk community on the St. Lawrence River. And uh, he has his own Great Lake monster story to share with us. And then we're going to hear from one of the best scary monster water storytellers in the world, Jeremy Wade. He is the host of River Monsters, heard on National Geographic Television. Jeremy has some great theories about monsters in the water, but I'll let him tell you that. With winter coming, I'm going to give some tips on buying the most accessible and most economical power supply for your technologies and your batteries and everything else you need in your life should the power go out. And I'll have a few reflections to share on life, the universe and everything. Oh, just on the show. Come on, Lewis. Let's go find Miss Lily. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily. I was out fishing with a friend of mine, Norm Peters. He's from the uh, First Nations Mohawk community on the St. Lawrence River near Cornwall. And he told me a really interesting story about (laughs) monsters in the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence River. And something that happened to him when he was a very small child out fishing with his grandfather. But before we get into hearing uh, Norm's story, why don't you walk us through what you found on monsters in the Great Lakes. Monsters like Gassienditha. Huh. Yeah. Gassienditha is the meteor dragon that lives in Lake Ontario. Wow. I told you dragons are real. Yeah. Uh, In 1805, four fishermen were casting their lines into Lake Ontario. It was a beautiful day. The sunlight glimmered on the surface of the water as the fishermen talked and laughed. Suddenly, you know, a strange sape resembling an overturned rowboat emerges from the water. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, concerned for the safety of the rowboat's passengers, they immediately began making their way over to the shape. Imagine their surprise when the shape began making its way over to them. (laughs) Is that a boat coming towards us upside down? (laughs) The object, they realized, was not a rowboat at all. Instead, the men were greeted by an enormous serpentine creature with huge eyes and a mouth to match. Wow. Yeah, reflecting on the terrifying experience, they recalled that the creature had to be more than 45 meters long and as wide as a barrel. That is huge. As one might expect. The fishermen panicked. They frantically rowed back to the shore, fleeing for their lives. The monster skimmed atop the surface of the water close behind. Once the men were safely back on dry land, they said the creature taunted them from the lake. You know, there's nothing worse than being taunted by sea monsters. Yeah, Lake Ontario also hosts an abundance of migratory fish species, including Canada's largest freshwater fish. My favorite... The lake sturgeon. The lake sturgeon, yeah. <laughs> lake sturgeons themselves are often confused with lake monsters due to their, you know, size and dinosaur-esque serpent shape. Yep. Hey, let's listen to Norm Peter's story about his experience with sturgeon as a small five-year-old boy. One of the earliest sturgeon um, experiences with sturgeon I had was I was a little kid. We are in Toronto. Um, I was about five years old, six years old, and my dad would take us down to the at the harbor and we would fish out the docks and after a while I'd be just walking around and I saw this what looked to me like a shark 
swimming around the, the piers of the dock and along the head wall. And uh, I said, Dad, what is that? He looks at it, he says, ah, that's a shark. So after one weekend of seeing sharks on the Toronto Harbor, I just thought there were sharks. Yeah. <laughs> so we came home to visit the grandparents for, for a week during summer break. And uh, Grandpa says, hey, you're just in time. Let's go check uh, my nightline. All right. And he had this little 12, maybe 14 foot wooden boat with a seven and a half horse Johnson on it. And we went out the river, got up to the floor. He says, sit here and don't move. He says, we'll tip over you, walk around. All right. So I'm sitting at the back of the boat next to the motor and he's at the ball and he starts pulling in uh, his nightline. And all of a sudden he says, oh, we got one. He says, oh no, I think we got two of them. So he's pulling up and all of a sudden he grabs his gaff and he hooks the sturgeon on the back and he throws it in the boat and all I see is shark. <laughs> it's a shark. <laughs> and the sturgeon's on the bottom of the boat and it's it's head facing it's, it. it's moving back and forth and it's coming my way and I scream and I jumped on the seats and I grabbed my grandfather by the leg and he says, I told you to sit down and he backhands me right across the forehead. Oh no. He stuns me. So I'm sitting on a seat and the shark behind me and and here's my grandfather pulling in another shark on the, the night line. And I'm, I'm I'm crying and screaming, and my grandfather say all at me, "Shut up! You're, you're, we're gonna tip us. You're gonna tip us over." He has no idea what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh so my I get, god. So we get back to the dock. My grandmother's, my mother's, wondering what's ha what's going on out there because I guess you could hear all the commotion and screaming, yeah. and, and here I am with a big egg on my forehead. Yeah. And uh, I'm crying. And I said, "The shark almost got me." <laughs> shark. God. Oh, you poor kid. And they told my father about the story. He, he started laughing. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him that the sturgeon was a shark at Toronto. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> An innocent joke goes horribly wrong. Yeah. After that, every time I see a sturgeon, that's the first thing that comes in my mind. It's a shark. <laughs> to a small boy, a sturgeon must seem huge. I, I, I know when I encounter them, they seem huge. And I'm an adult now. They weigh more than you, Dad. What else can you tell us about lake sturgeon? Aha, uh -huh. well, lake sturgeon, they're enormous, ancient, culturally important, and intelligent. Lake sturgeon can live as long as humans. Wow. More astonishing still, they never stop growing. Males can live to 55, and females can live to be about 150. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> That's old. <laughs> of all the sturgeon that are over 30 years old, 97% of them are female. Wow. Now, some lake sturgeon have grown to be two meters long and have weighed at not a whopping 310 pounds. Wow. Uh, these fish are so enormous, they've been mistaken for various Great Lake monsters for over centuries. Lake sturgeon have inhabited the Great Lakes for 10,000 years. They're one of the oldest species on the planet, belonging to a fish family that dates back to 200 million years. Wow, yeah. that's so old. Their ancestors lived among the dinosaurs. Yeah. Lake sturgeon are descendants of prehistoric fish, and they really look like it. They haven't changed much, I guess. That's what I'm told. Like, they're, the way they are now is the way they were 150 million years ago. You know, they were perfectly designed then, and they're still perfectly designed now. Like the squid. That's the least evolved animal in the world. Is that right? Yeah, just because you can tell he's so weird looking, yeah. but he's perfect the way he Perfectly is. designed. Lake sturgeons have bony plates on their backs, mm -hmm. long noses, four whisker-like barbels, prehensile lips, yeah. long torpedo-shaped bodies, a shark-like tail, 
and coarse skin instead of scales. Yeah, those lips, the, they, they extend like a vacuum cleaner hose. They sort oh. of slinky out, you really? know? Yeah, when they're, when they're sucking up off the bottom and then they retract. Oh my gosh, yeah. okay. Uh, lake sturgeon are actually known for being shy and docile. In fact, they don't even have teeth. Lake sturgeon use their vacuum-like mouth to eat insect larvae, small crustaceans, and fish from the bottom of the lake. They're nice giants. They're sort of nature's vacuum cleaners, you know? They clean up anything that's dead lying on the bottom. They just suck it up and, you know, they tidy up everything. But that doesn't mean they only eat things on the bottom. I've caught them ice fishing through the ice, just jigging something, and they just come over and grab it. Boom. And uh, so they can be aggressive little eaters as well. Groups like the Huron and Anishinaabeg have eaten these fish for centuries. Mm. And the northern Ojibwe would sell sturgeon to traders. Yeah. Lake sturgeon were also a key part of social feasts, ceremonies, and customs. They smoke it. Oh, delicious. Huron fish preachers would summon lake sturgeon as part of a fishing ritual to ensure a fruitful catch. Once caught, no part of the fish was wasted. First Nation people used lake sturgeon bones as needles, spearheads and arrowheads, and insiglass, a gelatin from dried swim bladders, wow. to make glue and paint. That's actually cool. That's very cool, yeah. Number four. Mm. Some scientists have seen lake sturgeon display individual personalities, such as inventive feeding strategies and playfulness. Yeah. I believe it. Lake sturgeon have been seen tail walking, walking on their tails on the surface. Yep. Yep. And porpoising. Yeah. Which is jumping up in the air. Yeah. Jumping and then back in the water and out again. They're basically the dolphins of the Great Lakes then. Some scientists believe that rather than being an act of joy, this spirited behavior is intended to shake off sea lampreys. Or sea lice or, oh, you know. sea lamprey. Those are nasty. Oh, yeah. They're, they're nasty. But we've seen that, you know. I was at a fishing tournament once there probably was a hundred boats just milling around waiting to weigh in their fish and, uh, and these juvenile sturgeon are just jumping out of the water straight up in the air like a like a rocket and then they Aww. just suspend and then they fall back into the water on their side because splash and uh, they were three or four feet long just over a meter long and we i think we all thought they were just looking around just say hey, what's out there they just jump up as high as they can have a peek <laughs> and then go back in the water hey, lily what was the name of the other monster you mentioned oh Bessie. Think of Bessie as the Loch Ness Monster's Canadian cousin. So there's Nessie and Bessie. <laughs> Nessie and Bessie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, no. Uh, monsters in Lake Erie have been reported as recently as 2001 when a creature dubbed the Lake Erie Chomper first attacked near the Port Dover pump house. In less than 24 hours, two unfortunate swimmers were left with vicious bite marks. Ouch. Ouch, ouch Bessie. Not in a good mood that no. day. No. Brenda McCormack was headed to the beach for a sunset dip. The waters were calm, the sky golden, and nothing seemed amiss. Brenda then met Bessie. Not in a good way. No, no, no. Brenda had only just slipped into Lake Erie's cool, refreshing waters when she felt what she could only call a chomp on her right calf. Yeah. Frantically, she made her way back to shore, only to discover something horrifying. Imprinted on her calf muscle was a six-inch series of circular puncture wounds. It was undeniably jaw-shaped. Wow. Brenda escaped with minor injuries, but the Lake Erie Chomper's appetite was far from satisfied. The following morning, a local father took his son for a swim at the very same beach. The duo were so savagely attacked that the child needed medical attention. No. Yeah, and coincidence that it happened like hours apart? Same, same spot, same beach. The doctor who examined the boy's injuries 
ruled out a number of creatures that could not have produced such a bite. Lamprey eel? Nope. Nope. Snapping turtle? No. No. Piranha? Not a chance. Not in Canada. Um, According to the doctor, the only creature that could have possibly left such a mark was a bowfin. You know, I've caught a bowfin near Sandbanks, right? Right where we camp. It was a big fish. It was probably four kilos and maybe uh, 70 centimeters long. And it had this really distinct fin on the dorsal fin, the one on the back. It started just behind the head and then went all the way along the back, all the way down the back and ended just before the tail. So when you looked at that fin, that dorsal fin on his back, it was shaped like a crescent moon or a bow. And that's where they get their name. Yeah. But they're also called dogfish because of their mouths. Oma, Oma cooked it up. Of we cor- ate it. Of course she did. That's, <laughs> of course Oma cooked it up. I'm not surprised. They're a highly aggressive and nearly insatiable predatory species. In fact, bowfin spend most of their time looking for something to eat. Bowfin prefer deep waters during the day, but at night they move into shallower waters to look for food. I want to thank uh, the good folks at Swim Drink Fish Canada for all this great information about the Great Lakes and their monsters. Uh, They really pulled together some great stuff and good job, Lily, for finding that. Lily, I spoke with the master of a monster, Jeremy Wade. He had that TV show for, for several years, River Monsters. Oh my God, River Monsters? Yeah, yeah. So uh, he talked to me about what it means to take his viewers with him on a mission and his very first mission to India to discover a giant catfish that was pulling people into the water. Wonderful man, loves, loves, loves fish, loves to educate people and just has a real passion for it. Let's hear from Jeremy. Time for the bucket list. When it comes to fishing in a lot of rivers, a lot of water, uh, we are all fishing blind. We see, there is the surface of the water, and we don't know what lies the other side of that. We populate that other world with our imagination. Love it. And actually, as I'm talking to you now, I have my eyes closed because that sort of helps me better to, to sort of visualize what might be going on down there. Mm-hmm. Looking at river monsters, we started off with a sort of wanting to make it an underwater whodunit. Um, and then over the years, we found that other little components added to it. You know, there's lots of boxes that are, that are ticked. But I think that whole sense of mystery is what keeps people fishing. And in terms of watching the TV show, it's not just, oh, let's go and catch this fish. Uh, that spot looks like a good place to catch this particular fish. Oh, look, I've just caught that fish. It, it, it's not like that. It's, you know, it, 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 there has to be this whole immersive process before you finally reveal that fish. And, and I think uh, what we do, and I say we because you know, I'm, I'm just the front man of a, a very large production team, a very, very clever bunch of people. Um, we somehow manage to get that ingredient in there, which is not a very easy, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. In fresh water, it's particularly difficult because uh, a lot of fresh water is, is cloudy. You can't, you can't approach it in the, the normal way that you would do for a, a normal natural history program. You can't just give somebody a camera, a waterproof camera, a dive kit, in you go, film the fish. No. Uh, because you haven't got the visibility. You've got yeah. to do it a different way. And in fact, even when you have got visibility, if 
you don't have the, the mind of an angler, if you don't understand that fish, you're not going to find it. I've built up this knowledge over 20-odd years, which actually has some value. I'd, I'd gone from fishing the local rivers. I'd gone to fishing lakes. I was into, I was into bigger fish. I was trying to catch, uh, trying to catch carp. And, but over the time that I was doing that, that sort of lost its magic, and I, I actually gave up fishing. And then what it was, I, I heard about this fish in India. It just planted the, the seed of an idea in the back of my mind. I'd never traveled outside Europe, but I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll go to India. Maybe I'll write about that. Maybe that will lead somewhere. And huh. uh, that's eventually what happened. I did actually catch a... I, I caught a catfish in India from a, from a mountain river, which is something pretty pretty weird uh that was the that was the very first episode of river monsters it was a story about a big fish but it was people talking about this fish that is so big it's actually pulled a few people under which sounds sounds ridiculous you know man-eating fish no you you get those in the sea maybe you don't get them in fresh water but we looked into this story and there was you know there 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 is something there and i caught a small one uh, this is the goonch catfish uh you know 66 pounds i think still an impressive fish what i'm always trying to do is take the viewer with me okay we're we're in an exotic place we are presented with a challenge and it's all about understanding so here is the water there's the water surface below the surface is this unknown world but there are clues we can and, and, I, and I want the viewer to sort of you know, not be overwhelmed by it. It's, you know, let's approach this in a, in a logical way. Let's talk to some people. Let's do this. Let's do that. And what I like to do then is, is to keep them with me so they, they understand what I'm doing and why. And also physically, a lot of these places, the initial feeling might be, oh, that's very dangerous. I'd never go there. But, well, you know, if you are aware of the dangers, if you're aware of the nature of the environment, you can keep yourself safe. So come with me and you can be looking over my shoulder and you can understand and follow exactly what I'm doing. Outdoor tips and tech. I wanted to talk to you about power packs you know you can get all these different types of power packs to keep your devices charged up if you should have a power failure you can go two ways on this you can either buy a dedicated power source for your home and these things can range from a thousand to two thousand dollars you know they'll charge up your tablets your your phones they even have inverters so you can plug in 120 volt uh, plugs like for laptops but um, there's a much cheaper way to go if you go to the uh, automotive departments and you look at the uh, power packs that are meant to boost your vehicle's battery if it dies or fill some tires because many of them have built-in compressors as well, they're a lot cheaper. They have USB ports on the front of them. They have cigarette lighter adapters so you can plug in uh, a device that way as well. And some even have inverters so they turn that 12 volts of uh, direct current into 120 volts of alternating current useful for plugging in you know your typical ac type appliances around the house now it's a small battery it's not going to run your hair dryer for very long or your electric kettle the first one we're going to look at is the cat 1200 it's available at costco for about 125 dollars now i don't like this one it's got more features but it's not accessible 
It's got four USB ports across the front. It's got an inverter so you can plug in a 120 volt type appliance. It's got a LED flashlight. It's got a built-in compressor so you can fill your tires. It's got the jumper cables on the back so you can jump your batteries. You can charge it up using the cable that comes with it that you plug into your 120 volt household plug to charge up the uh, source. It's got a 1,200 watts of uh, power. The tire pressure pump goes up to 120 pounds per square inch and it's heavy. All these things come with lead acid type motorcycle batteries. So they're not the same size as a car battery. They're about a one third the size, but they're a lot cheaper than the NICAD batteries that you would use for a, a electric drill. So why don't I like the Costco version? It's got buttons across the front, three buttons to turn on the power to the USB source. So it's on, it's off, but there's no different tone. Same with the uh, LED light on, off. Now, if you have a little bit of sight, you can see the lights come on or off, but if you fail to turn these off, it'll drain the battery. What I do like about it is the tire pressure pump. You can raise or lower the PSI, then you can turn the pump on. Turn on the pump, raise it up. Turn it off. Now you have to screw the hose onto the filler of the tire. And then, so it's not easy just to put on and off like you would do with regular tire inflation devices. You have to actually screw it onto the thread, which means you can't check the level of pressure in the tire that quickly. But you know, normally there's more than one tire on your vehicle or on your bicycle, or if it's just a ball or something, you can always just test by pushing on it with your hand, or you can buy a talking air pressure gauge. They're not expensive, about $12, $15. Now the unit I do like is the MotorMaster 900 booster pack with air compressor. This is available at Canadian Tire, comes on sale quite regularly at $115, otherwise it's $149. It's a little bit smaller than the Costco one, so it's easier to store. It's got 900 amps of power instead of 1200, so it's a little bit smaller, but it'll still boost a car battery. It still has the compressor and uh, it still has the ability to charge your phones and tablets and devices. So it has the USB one plug on the front and a cigarette lighter on the left. So if you have a cigarette lighter type adapter, you can always plug in one of those and then put more USBs off the end of that, like we do in the vehicles. And it's got buttons that actually feel on and off. So they don't make sound, but say for the light, I push it, it's in, I push it again, the button pops out, the light's off, the LED light. This button at the top here, in top middle, I push it in and it gives you a series of LED lights that tell you the level of the battery. So you'll need someone to check that for you to make sure the battery's not running down or to tell you when the battery's fully charged or just plug it in for eight hours and the battery's charged. And then for the air pump, it's got a switch, a rocker switch in the up position. Down position, the air pump's off. And then for the booster, you turn the uh, dial switch to the right position. Now your booster cables are live on the back. Turn it back to the, to the left, the off position. It's a rotating dial to position and the booster cables are off. It goes up to 150 PSI for the air pressure. You know, you could definitely blow up a bicycle tire with that if you left it on. You can also recharge the motor master using the AC plug that comes with it. Plug it into your home wall socket or it comes also with a cigarette lighter type adapter 
that you can plug into your car or truck cigarette lighter and recharge your booster pack that way. Now, should you be the one applying the booster cables to a, a dead battery on your car, truck, boat, or RV, the, uh, the clips for the battery cables do have very well pronounced tactile positive and negative indicators on the plastic handles on each clip. And the batteries do as well. Just make sure you bring some paper towel to clean off the battery. Last thing, the AccuTire tire pressure gauge. I bought off the internet. I won't tell you which store I bought off. I'm not affiliated with any of these stores, but it's the AccuTire, A-C-C-U-T-I-R-E, and it's a talking tire pressure gauge. And this is what it sounds like. Zero PSI. Zero PSI. So it's saying zero PSI because I have not uh, pressed it to any tire recently. Now you would just hold this to the tire, make sure you got a good seal there so that air isn't rushing past it. It's holding the air in the tire as you're pushing in the uh, release nipple on the uh, tire stem. And then you take it away, you press the button, and it'll tell you the pressure of the tire. I learned a lot in this episode about the creatures that make the Great Lakes home. It's also amazing how our imaginations can run wild and turn perfectly normal encounters with nature into spooky, scary, near-death experiences. Using knowledge like science, traditional knowledge, local knowledge, and analysis, we can get around that as people with low or no vision. We need to do that to interpret what's around us, things we can't see. A lot of people are afraid of things they can't see. All those things that live beneath the surface of our lakes and rivers and oceans that lie out of sight. Our whole world is out of sight. We have to use knowledge and our ability to conduct analysis to figure it out. Blind and low vision people can become some of the best analysts around. Give us the information. We'll focus in on it and give you the answers. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.